Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. He said, you know, focus, and when you're growing your firm, don't try to be all things to all people. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Steve Goodman, a CPA and the president of Goodman Financial in Houston, Texas. As I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, Steve was referred to us by another one of our recent guests from the Houston area. But as soon as I heard the name, I knew exactly who we were talking about. Steve's company, Goodman Financial, is definitely a recognized brand among CPAs in this area, so I was excited that we would be able to get some of the backstory on how this firm has grown over the last three decades. Steve's going to share his story of starting the financial advisory practice from scratch after only a few years in public accounting, but he's also going to share some of his lessons learned from that experience, particularly a few involving focus. If you've ever considered developing a few accounts or even a full-time business on your own later down the road, this is definitely going to be an episode you're going to want to hear. If you do find this episode has been valuable to you, please visit us online at whereaccountantsgo.com to subscribe to the podcast, or you can do so on your favorite podcast app as well, of course. Once again, the website is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Steve Goodman of Goodman Financial. Well, hello, Steve. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Good afternoon. Well, for our audience, we have Steve Goodman, a CPA and the president of Goodman Financial on the show today. Steve was referred to us by one of our former guests from the Houston area. And honestly, I was excited to get this referral because although I was aware of Steve due to his involvement with the state CPA society, I've been wanting to know more about his background myself because he's so well known and he has grown a thriving financial advisory business there in Houston. Steve, I know you've had Goodman Financial for many, many years now, and I definitely want to you know, deep dive into that part of the journey, but I still would like to start at the beginning so all of us can understand how you got started and really what led you to where you are today. What initially caused you to consider accounting as a possible career move in the first place? Well, that's an interesting question because initially I wasn't really considering accounting. I was considering something else. But if I rewind first and take you all the way back to when I was a kid growing up, my father was actually a managing partner of a CPA firm. And while I had a lot of respect for what he did, and I saw that a lot of people and friends and business acquaintances all seemed to have a lot of respect for him, didn't really fully understand what he did, as most children don't. But probably about the time I was eight or nine or ten, he started bringing back this. This was a long, long time ago when bank reconciliations, bank statements came with a whole pile of checks. And he had actually his largest client, even back in, this would have had to have been the late 60s, early 70s, had a business with about $200 million worth of revenue. So you can imagine how many transactions they had. He would actually bring all their checks for the month home, and I would spread them out on the living room floor because 
they weren't in order. So I would have to take <laughs> thousands of checks and put them into order. And so I was actually doing the beginning part of the bank reconciliation from the time I was a little kid, originally just putting checks into order and then actually identifying which ones hadn't cleared yet and taking it a step further. And then actually one summer when I was 14, I was a little too young to get a job, let's say in fast food or something. He thought I was having too much fun, and he told me I was going to come to the office with him, and he had the staff teach me how to do journal entries. And I know people tend to joke about how uh, you know somebody's a CPA when they get excited about balancing their debits and credits, but I can tell you as a 14-year-old, I got excited about balancing my debits and credits. And there was manual journal ledger paper, sometimes 14-column or 17-column, and you would actually be doing sales journals or general journal and, you know, getting those journals to balance. That was a big deal and I enjoyed it, but I also knew that I had more of an entrepreneurial streak and I'd always had a love for the hotel industry. And I actually moved to Houston to go to the Conrad N. Hilton College of Hotel Management for an undergrad in hotel management. And it wasn't until I was getting close to graduating that a couple of my mentors suggested that I was still more of a financial person than an operations person, and I ought to go back and get a master's in accounting and tax, and that might help prepare me more for what was within my aptitude and and interest level. Interesting. Wow. Okay. So you rebelled a little bit. You were going to go into the hotel business, but then your friends brought you back to (laughs) your tree calling. I love it. That's interesting. Did you ever pursue the hotel industry or... I did. It it was interesting because actually one of those individuals who had advised me was a professor, the senior professor at the college. He was the professor of hotel accounting and food and beverage controls. And when I was a senior, I was actually his teaching assistant. So he knew a little bit about my interests. And I, I really was interested in hotel investment, hotel real estate, those kind of things. And when I graduated, I went to work for Arthur Young. It's a precursor to Ernst & Young days. And then when I, after a couple of years, I did leave, probably left sooner than I should have, but actually started two businesses simultaneously. I started Goodman Financial, and I also started a hotel real estate company. And so I did pursue it. Okay. Now, I know you mentioned a little bit, but I thought that was much more recent. I didn't realize it was that early. Okay. How long did you do both? <laughs> too long. <laughs> You know, early on, people told me that made no sense to do the two things. And I basically knew that hotel real estate was something that was, at the time, I thought it was more connected with my passion. Plus, I know it could be very, very lucrative. And the investment management, financial advisory is a slower growing business. So I looked at the latter one as as kind of one to, to kind of make sure I was slowly growing and could support my family. But Quite honestly, I looked at the hotel real estate one as something that would be more interesting. And I thought somewhere after a few years, I would decide which one to focus on. And as it is, it was more than 10 years that I was doing both of them simultaneously. Okay. So did you have a family at the time you were starting these businesses? Is that- <laughs> I did what was maybe unique is I had an instant family. I had, when I was 25, I married an instant family and my wife came along with an eight-year-old plus two-year-olds, two-year-old twins. So the instant family of three daughters and, you know, those daughters are all grown and all either have children of their own or one of them is actually due with her first child in August. But it was an adjustment and that's part of why I felt the need to do both businesses because I knew I needed to support a family and I couldn't take the total risk uh, if one of those businesses failed. Okay. Well, the reason I ask is I'm thinking you were at Arthur Young for just a few years and you have a family and you decided, I'm going to go start two businesses. <laughs> it seems risky and that's, obviously it's worked out. You know, I'm not questioning it. It's just, it was a gutsy move, I expect, at that time. Uh- 
I would say maybe gutsy, but actually naive because one of the things that I, I've heard for years and I really better understand it now and I wish I understood it more is really, I think if I had focused more, it would have been better doing those two things simultaneously really does take a toll. It's probably a little bit too much and maybe a little tough on the whole work-life balance approach. Okay. Well, I don't want to focus too much on the hotel side because obviously that ended up you know, going by the wayside or you ended up focusing on the financial business. How did the financial firm grow? What were those first few years like? Well, it's slow because you start, you know, a lot of people, they might work in the brokerage industry and then take some clients with them and start their own firm. I was actually starting from scratch. I had no clients. And so I had already gotten my CFP probably right around the time I left Arthur Young. I think I had already been studying for it. I took the exam and passed that. And so really it was a matter of people who already knew me and maybe felt that I had a good financial head on my shoulders and had some trust. And so it was one at a time. And, you know, if you do a good job for folks, whether it be in the investment management business or the financial advisory or the accounting business, whatever it might be, hopefully they'll refer additional clients. And that's really what happened. And that's actually what ended up making the decision to exit hotel real estate. Hotel real estate is a very cyclical business. And actually, when lenders stop lending, you can no longer close deals. And so, you know, between seeing that that was something that was about to go through a down cycle and then looking at Goodman Financial just growing through referrals, it became obvious where I needed to focus my time. Okay. How long was it before you got to the point where you needed to hire your first employee with Goodman Financial? Well, I actually had a couple interns way back in the early years, but I mean, that's a low-cost approach. But I think it was actually in probably six, seven years into it that I started hiring employees. And then we had a pivotal event in 2001. And while, you know, you don't ever like to, oh, how should I call it, benefit too much from somebody else's mistakes... There was a firm in town here that was in the investment management business that those of us in the business could see that they were doing everything wrong. I mean, literally almost everything you could possibly be doing wrong, they were doing wrong. And we kind of felt like there might even be some fraud or something like that involved, but you know, no one could put their finger on it exactly. And that firm actually, 2001, I believe it was, it collapsed. And we were approached by a couple different parties, by the bankruptcy trustee, by the custodian for their assets, and eventually by a bank that was also holding some of their, what they had were illiquid IRAs. And I don't ever recommend illiquid IRAs, but they approached us and said, hey, with your experience, you know, you understand tax, you understand investments, you understand real estate, because some of what they were doing was real estate. They came to us and said, hey, will you take over the remaining pieces of this business? So we basically took, it was a big leapfrog for us, instantly hired two employees in addition to the two we had. And so basically that was actually kind of think of it as like a bit of a slingshot. And then that's allowed us to grow. And now we're a 15 person firm, which is decent size for firms in our industry. Wow. Actually, yeah, I would think that would put you on the the upper end in terms of privately held financial advisory company, at least in, well, I'm in San Antonio and 15 people, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it, it is decent size. I mean, I still think of us as a small business, but there are six of our individuals are CPAs, five of the client-facing individuals, and then one additional person who focuses on more on risk management and compliance and processes, you know, but we kind of have a CPA DNA is what I refer to it as and just feel more comfortable with the CPAs. And that's kind of how we've grown. And the the leadership team, literally all but but one, are CPAs. Okay. 
You've had your business for 30 years now, is that, is uh, that about right? Next year will be our 30th, yes. Okay. With it being so long, I wasn't even sure what parts to ask you about. So I did want to ask you about milestones, and obviously that was one, <laughs> 2001. But back then you were at six employees, and now you're at 15. How have you grown over the years? Have there been other major events along the way? Or? Not really major events. What we've done is typically we hire a little bit ahead of where our growth is. The idea being you don't want to ever get behind the curve. So if you're really focused on growth, you just keep hiring good people. And sometimes it looks like you've got kind of a little bit too much payroll. But if you're going to grow, that way you'll be able to absorb that that growth. And so every it had been every other year, we'd add one more person. And more recently, it's starting to accelerate. So it's a good place to be. One thing we're real proud of is we've got probably one of the most diverse small advisory firms you could imagine. You know, it's funny, I'll see the trade, the professional magazines, I'll be talking about trouble in hiring millennials, a difficulty in gender diversification or racial diversification. And we are really, in our office, we are a fully diverse group in every which way. And I really think it adds to the experience here for the employees as well as the clients. What skills have you had to learn along the way to operate your financial advisory company successfully that you didn't learn in college? <laughs> I think almost every skill was learned <laughs> after college. And and I would say this, in case we don't touch on it elsewhere, is I really think those years when you first get out of school, those first jobs, I would just recommend, even if you're ready to move on to another firm, sometimes staying a little bit longer, the things you can learn in that, especially if you're, you're working in a large CPA firm, take time to really learn some best practices from them, learn why they're doing things the way they're doing them. So some of those things I learned at Arthur Young, I think working for any of the, whether it's a large national firm or a large local firm, I think sometimes there's a good learning to be done working for those types of companies. And then a lot came from learning from the professional societies, uh, TSCPA and Houston CPA Society. I can probably talk about that more if you'd want. But then beyond that, it's just also learning from the people you're doing business with, learning from the other professionals, learning from your own employees. They say, you know, it, it's always good to hire people that are smarter than you. And so what we've tried to do is as we've grown and there's some diverse areas within our firm of specialization, hire people who are expert in that and, and maybe their skill sets even, you know, north of mine, even with a lot of experience that I have. You know, it's people who don't hire people who are really, really smart that end up, you know, it's kind of like they're trying to defend their own position in the firm. But I'd love it if everybody here was smarter than me. I feel the same way. You hire people that are better than you are. <laughs> yep. and whatever, yes, it, it just, it makes a lot of sense it, to lose your pride in that respect and go ahead and hire people that will do better than you would in the first place. You mentioned the State CPA Society, TSCPA, and I did want to touch on, just so the audience knows, I mean, what involvement have you had specifically? And, and actually, I'm not sure how long you've been involved. Uh, how did you get started and what have you done over the years? Well, actually, you know, the first start was the local CPA society with the Houston CPA society. Back then, it wasn't an automatic you joined both. So I did join both at the same time, but they were more separated. And there, I got on a committee. And the next thing you know, I was vice chair of the committee. It was a personal financial planning committee. And they invited me to be on a couple other committees. And actually, one pivotal moment was at that particular year, the Houston CPA Society had kind of so-called adopted a community center in a, a less prosperous area of town. And they had different 
activities that, relating to that. And they said, hey, does anybody want to start a mentorship program for eighth graders? And they went around to the different committees and I was personal financial planning. I'm like, well, you know, hey, personal financial planning committee, anybody interested in helping support that? And so we actually, within our committee, we spearheaded a mentorship program over at the Wesley Community Center that, that went on for a few years. And I appreciated that. Next thing I knew, I was chairman of a couple committees and then I was asked to be on the executive board, or first a board of directors at Houston, then an executive board, and then way, way back, and this is a long time ago, it was, it was 1994, they put me on the TSCPA state board, the big board, and so that was my first real exposure to TSCPA, and so I continued to be involved with both organizations, eventually becoming president of the Houston CPA Society, and that term was 22 years ago. And then uh, actually got on the executive board of the TSCPA and ultimately became chairman of the TSCPA back in 08 and 09, which was a really challenging year. To It was the financial downturn. And there it was. I was chair of a volunteer organization with a pretty major commitment, but I wouldn't trade that for anything. It was a great experience. And I would say, going back to your earlier question about things you learn outside of school, I would say learning kind of leadership leadership skills. I learned more of that through CPA society involvement than anywhere else. The ability to learn from others, how you lead, whether it's a committee or the entire you know state organization, leadership skills came from watching others before me. And it was a great experience that I couldn't replicate it. And I left you know, the big accounting firm, I left them so long ago that I really hadn't developed those leadership skills. So it all came from the CPA society. Yeah, I'm curious. How did you manage to be chair of TSCPA during the downturn? So you own a financial advising company. <laughs> At the beginning of the, actually, we were well into the downturn by 2008, 2009. And not all the listeners may know this, but the chair of TSCPA generally travels an incredible amount. They always state, you know, how many days they were on the road. How did you make that work you know, and, and it, still it, be here 10 years later? You know, <laughs> exactly. Not getting a lot of sleep. I, I will tell you between my chairman elect year and my chairman year, because you really have to do a lot of the work in your elect year so that, you know, it's in place to really, you know, you got to kind of put that train on the track before your term actually starts. But I made 50, I did 50 trips. Uh, I did 20 chapter visits. Actually, it was 17 chapters, but three of them I did twice. So there were three chapters I didn't get a chance to visit. And then I had AICPA responsibility because it was on the governing council. And it was, quite honestly, probably about a 30-hour-a-week commitment there for a period of time. And then the term began on June 1st of 2008. And then it was by really September, October, November that things had really fallen off a cliff from uh, the stock market and the economy. And But it, you know what? I was able to take in my chapter visits and other professional education I was providing, you know, professional updates. I was able to weave in some of what was going on in the economy and talk to people really in a way maybe they hadn't been talked to before. You know, everybody saw the headlines, but they didn't really maybe weren't able to put things in perspective. One real quick example was may or may not remember this whole TARP bailout. Well, everybody thought of it, TARP as the government's spending all this money and kind of perceived as an income statement item. But as CPAs, we really know that it was a balance sheet item. It was an investment. And then ultimately, the government got all their money back. Now, while I wish they wouldn't have had to have done that, and I think there would have been better ways to do that, the reality is, while the media 
and you know the general media would have everybody think that was just the government just throwing away money. It was all done as an investment, an investment in sustaining the foundation of the economy. And I was able to talk about some of those things as I did my chapter visits. And there was actually one professional issues webcast that I did, which must have been September. I had actually, we had had Hurricane Ike here in Houston, and the power to, I lived in a high-rise, and the power to our building was lost. So I literally had to do the stairs and shave by by flashlight to get on a plane to, to fly to tape the webcast. So it was a really interesting year, and it's one of those that kind of challenges you, and I think hopefully makes you a better person, at least better than you were before, but not necessarily better than anybody else, though. Yeah, were you at the point in your company where you had, you know, mid-level management in place that could help you run things or were you working we the did. night shift? <laughs> All of the above. I mean, the reality is we've always had good people. I mean, at that time we were probably about a, I'm going to say we were maybe a seven-person firm, eight-person firm is my recollection at that point. So we were good people, but I've always worked a lot of hours and that's probably the one thing I'm still working on is trying to get that work-life balance in check. Because I've always, I've worked a lot. My, you know, I've watched my grandfather work till he was 92. My dad worked till he was 82. And I tell people, if you follow pattern, you can count on me being here at least till 72. But I actually like the example my grandfather had of working till 92. He worked until he was no longer feeling like he was being beneficial to his employer. And it kept him in very, very good health until he was age 97. There you go. Yeah, there's, I forget the exact same, but something like, you know, pick something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. You sound like you definitely enjoy what you do. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I'll tell you, back when I was TSCPA chair, you know, everybody's asked to come up with a theme. And my theme was passion for the profession. And my wife never stopped laughing about that, thought it was just a kind of absurd passion for the profession. But, you know, there's a lot of CPAs, especially in the leadership in the state and local societies, we do have passion for the profession. And we know what it's done for us. We know how important it is to, you know, business and the general public. And we enjoy our professional activities. One of the items I wanted to ask you about, over the years, I've seen a lot of young accountants defining that as, you know, during the first five years of their career, maybe first 10, but young accountants decide that they're, maybe they're between jobs or they're thinking about change and they decide that they're interested in the financial industry and they'll go to work for an investment company and figure out it's a whole lot more sales than they realized. And six months later, they're back going to be an accountant (laughs) somewhere. Less analysis, more sales. What do you feel like people really need to know if they are an accountant and they're you know, considering getting into that industry. I think that that's a great observation you've made. A couple thoughts. One is, I think while they're still in accounting in their prior job, that it would be a good idea if financial advisory is something they really want to do, then maybe they should either pursue their CFP, which is a Certified Financial Planner okay. designation, or pursue a PFS, which is something that's part of the AICPA's designation. It's one of the specialties, personal financial specialist. But if they pursue that, then two things. One is they have a better knowledge base to do things professionally. Plus, I also think that instead of having to take the jump to, let's call it the brokerage profession, and I'm not going to besmirch the brokerage profession. There's some good high quality folks, including CPAs in that business. But I think that if they actually have the designations, then they're more likely to be able to be considered by more of your financial advisory businesses or investment management businesses that 
aren't sales-oriented. I mean, we've been a fee-only firm since our inception. We don't sell any product. So we're looking for people who understand financial advisory services, hopefully have a maybe some kind of tax background, and you know have an interest in what we do. And I think that there's other firms similar to ours that might provide opportunities. But I'll tell you, we sure like to see it if somebody's already pursued that designation and showed that you know they have a really a strong enough interest in moving from the CPA world, CPA-only world, I should say, to this CPA, CFP, or CPA, PFS world, such that they've already made a commitment to obtaining one of those designations. That's good advice. And actually, I'm glad you defined the difference there, because I wasn't doing a good job of, of stating the question. No, no. It's a very confusing marketplace out there. <laughs> so where do you see Goodman Financial going forward in the coming years? What does success look like for you guys? Well, you know, in any business, you want to see it grow, not just for growth's sake, but I think as you grow, you have more resources. You have more financial resources because you have revenue. Then you take that revenue in order to do a couple things, provide better opportunities for your employees, as well as be able to have additional resources to do an even better job for your clients. And so I think the CPA DNA is, you know, what we'll retain. I can imagine we'll have more non-CPAs, you know, joining the firm too as we grow. But, you know, I don't want us to become unwieldy to where we become, let's say, a more of a institution. But I do want us to be a very stable company that's here for the long run, that people will have no doubt that we're here and that we're going to be here, you know, for for serving this generation and the next generation and the generation after that. And just, you know, preserve our reputation, which hopefully will be one of a firm that is, you know, doing the right thing and doing the best job at all times, doing the best job, you know, that we believe best practices. There you go. So I am curious about one thing. One of our previous guests and actually a frequent audience member suggested I add this question in, and I try to use it as much as possible because I think it does give us some good insight. If you could go back in time, given what you know now, but give your younger self just one piece of critical advice, what do you think that might be? Focus. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs are accused of not having a lot of focus. And that's, you know, entrepreneurs tend to be folks that are willing to try a variety of things. And I just, I think that focus, being more focused on what you're trying to accomplish. And I honestly think, well, it was an interesting path that I grew two businesses at once. I think that I should have focused on one versus other. And I know a number of people actually advised me to do that. And I felt I'm always one that's managing risk. So I felt like it was a good risk management tool to grow the two. But I think focusing is really important. Okay. You know, I should have done this at the beginning, but I think I had the assumption that people understand what a financial advisory firm does. But you mentioned that you get a lot of referrals from CPA firms. How would you define Goodman Financial's specialty, if you will? Well, we actually serve two different types of clients. The individual clients which most individual clients are coming to us because they're wanting to save towards retirement or they're nearing retirement or they're trying to preserve their assets and support themselves. You know, post-retirement, it's all a kind of continuum that's actually a very long period of time. People start saving as soon as they start their first job. And, you know, from that time till the end of their life could be a 70-year period. So for a lot of folks, it is really 
dealing with individuals and providing the full-scale financial advisory, retirement planning, cash flow planning, sometimes budgeting, college savings for their kids or grandkids, charitable planning, estate planning, all those things, as well as managing their assets. We don't ever take custody of their investment portfolio, but we do have discretionary authority to manage the portfolio. So that's our whole individual client base, and they really benefit a lot from, I would think, from really the tax background that we have, being tax efficient and how you grow a portfolio, how you manage a portfolio, and maybe most importantly, how you distribute from a portfolio in retirement. And then there's a whole other group of clients that are the institutional clients, and some of them are nonprofits, foundations, endowments, or pension funds. And none of them really need any of that financial advisory. They're more looking at somebody who's a fiduciary, who's going to do the right thing in helping them manage the corpus of whatever endowment or whatever account and fund they have. And so they're more interested in risk management and really us helping them meet their fiduciary responsibilities as board members or trustees. So those are the institutional clients. Interesting. I didn't realize you had the institutional side as well. Okay. Well, I end every podcast with the same three questions. I feel like it gives us a lot of consistency and it's interesting to compare the answers between guests sometimes. Career-wise, what has been your proudest moment? Well, I will tell you, my professional volunteer involvement in my career have been really somewhat intertwined. And my proudest moment has to be becoming chairman of the Texas Society of CPAs. There's no doubt that that was an incredible, you know, being selected by peers, that was huge. And then actually being able to kind of carry out that role over the three-year period, chairman-elect, you know, chairman and then past chairman, that was actually, you know, that was really, to me, a little bit of a crowning achievement for all the volunteer work that I had done. Good point. Yeah, for those that may not realize it, it's an organization of close to 28,000 members, I think, now. And right. Yep. What it was at the time. But yes, it's not a small job by any means. <laughs> well, second question, tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it, of course, because that's where the gold is. But frankly, the bigger, the better. We, we like it when our guests share the really huge mistakes. I'll give you the huge, the huge mistake. So, you know, I, I've always had a little bit of a passion for hotels. So we did some hotel real estate advisory work. We did hotel, some actually at some point, some management work. And once again, this wasn't Goodman Financial doing this. This was through my real estate activities. This was back in the 90s. And I also, I just wanted to develop hotels. And, you know, you don't start out small. You, well, or I'm sure you should say you should do start out small. Uh, and not large, and we developed some limited service hotels. And I did three of them from scratch. And one of them really did not work out well at all. And it actually, right now, I actually pass by it probably a couple times a month. It, it, it's doing well now. It was a great location. We were just probably too early. But the big mistake is I was the personal guarantor on that note. I was oh. the only personal guarantor on that note. And so I was maybe a little bit, I don't know if you want to call it overconfident that I didn't see the risk in signing that note. But the hotel struggled, and of course, you know, we were going to pay our bills. And so when the hotel couldn't afford to pay its mortgage, I had to pay its mortgage. And that mortgage payment was $25,000 a month. And that all hit right at the same time as our oldest daughter started going to college, and she was going to a private school. So having to explain to my wife that I had to have $25,000 a month go out to pay the mortgage on the hotel in that particular location, that was not a that was not a proud moment, and that went on for a period of time. And ultimately, we did sell the hotel and paid off the mortgage. You know, and that was just one of the three. We had one that was maybe a, a home run, one that was 
decent deal, and that one just we were just too early. And there were other competitors that were built at the same time, and so it was an expensive lesson. Lesson is don't take on that much debt. Be careful about what you personally guarantee, and just a little bit more caution. And I'm a little bit more cautious about debt these days. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's really good to hear for us accountants because so often as your career starts to take off a little bit, you do come across investment opportunities or friends going into business and you're the accountant, so you get approached with the option for sweat equity and things like that. And that's really good for us to hear. You would think we all know better as accountants, but I think pride gets in the way sometimes. So thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, third question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? It was probably, of all things, it was from a former chairman of the TSCPA. It was somebody who had finished their term, so I knew they had, you know, a little bit more flexibility time, and I asked him if he wanted to have breakfast and visit, and actually, I was very frank. I said, can you share some of your wisdom? He was one of the founding partners of one of the large local CPA firms, and we sat down for breakfast, and his comment to me, it goes back to the focus part. He said, you know, focus, and when you're growing your firm, don't try to be all things to all people. Try to focus on one or two niches and be maybe the big player in that particular niche as opposed to spreading yourself too thin. And he had said that he personally wished he had been more focused. And I mean, he was quite successful at what he'd done. That actually, I, I took that to heart and I've tried to be more focused. And there are times where we have other opportunities and I just, I keep that focus lens on a, a little bit more fine-tuned than I used to. And I think focus and patience is really important, too. That is good advice. Actually, that's good general business advice, (laughs) not just for accounting. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, for our audience, this has been Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited our website, please do so. We're going to have the show notes for Steve's episode, of course, plus all our previous episodes. Once again, that is whereaccountantsgo.com. You can also find links to all the accounting-related certifications and review courses that you may want to consider. On that note, Stephen, any final thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to leave with the audience? I guess I would say is try to find that right work-life balance that suits you. Everybody's balance is different, but do be very conscientious about developing that right work-life balance that's appropriate for you. And if you're either married or have a significant other or family, find that balance that works for them too. Very wise, very wise. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.